0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Trading Desk. My name is Joshua Thanos, and today my de- my guest is an industry expert and a uh, longtime friend now, Brian Govberg. Hey, Brian. Hey, how you doing, Josh? Doing well, doing well. I'm I'm here in uh, sunny South Florida, or not so sunny today, but I, I've heard uh, you're in Philadelphia and I heard it's actually uh, pretty sunny there. No, it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm here in the suburbs working from home at 75 degrees and gorgeous out. Oh wow! Okay, so this is one of those days where uh, it's rainy in Florida and not so much in Philly. So I can be a little jealous of you today. Yeah, this is when it
1: topsy turvies, right? This uh, you know two to three month span is is when it's better to
0: live here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be with everything being shut down. It's probably going to be kind of tough for people to stay indoors with uh, with the nice weather in Philly. Because I, after living there for two years, I can tell like you know once once winter clears up, man, it's uh, you can't keep people inside. Exactly. So um, cool, man. So today we have a a great topic, but before we get into that, uh, let's do our customary wrist check. So what do you got on the wrist today?
1: So I haven't really been wearing watches very much uh, throughout the quarantine, but I decided to, uh, you know, on your advice, put one on today and I'm rocking a 5980 one A stainless steel with a blue dial. Um, It's the original Nautilus Chrono. I've had the watch since 2014. It has tremendous wear on the bracelet and case. If you could see it. Uh, you would probably cringe a little bit, but, uh, you know, I've had the watch for a long time and I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with that watch. That's uh, I thought I thought actually you traded it, so I'm happy to hear that you still have it. Uh, certainly worth more than what you paid in 2014, though I don't know how saleable it is in the condition that I know it, <laughs> that it's in. So uh, very impressive piece, man. That's, that's it, a would say, it would sell for more with my Battle Scars. <laughs> well, maybe we could test that out. We'll put it on the market and see how it goes. Um, but, uh, that's cool, man. That's, that's a great watch. Obviously discontinued, uh, when you bought it was not the most popular watch even, you know, people liked it, but it wasn't like people weren't killing each other for it. And now it's literally there's, we could probably find someone who would kill, kill another human being for that watch.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, when I got it, honestly, it wasn't, the market really wasn't even, even part of the equation. I mean, like full disclosure, I paid, I think 25,000. Oh, back my in Lord. 2014, um, Jeez. and uh, the reason that I picked the watch was honestly the 5711 was was too thin for my wrist, uh, or I at least again I I thought it was a little bit too thin. I wanted something with a little bit more heft to it. Uh, the 5980 really fulfilled that function. Uh, it was similar in size, but it just you know it had a little bit more heft on the wrist. I absolutely loved the watch uh, and the and the aesthetic, and you know that was the reason why I. I made the, uh, made the decision, but it's, I mean, it's it's pretty funny. I mean, back then, um, you know, 5980s for the years prior to that would sit in showcases. You know, oh, yeah. customers, customers really weren't buying them. Um, and you could purchase pretty much any Nautilus or Aquanaut under the sun whenever you wanted.
0: Right. Look, at the 5711 was a strong piece, but it wasn't like, it would trade at or maybe just below uh, the retail price at the time. And now- Correct. The, even with uh, with the Armageddon with us in the full throes of uh, of the apocalypse, it's still trading what more than probably double retail. So it's it's pretty bonkers. Or I guess maybe it just slid a little bit down. But before we get into that, I'll do my wrist check, which uh, I have something quite not not quite as exciting. But a uh, watch that I've liked. I've been getting into Tudor a lot uh, lately, and I have a Tudor GMT on the wrist. So this is the the one that they call the Diet Pepsi, um, which uh, I've been liking a lot. I have a Black Bay. And, uh, when this, when I have an opportunity to get this watch, I'm like, I jumped at it. These watches used to be too thick for me, but I'm finding it's funny. So you're saying you're not wearing watches. I am wearing all the watches during quarantine. Like I changed my watch maybe two or three times a day. Um, just, you know, being inside working with watches all day long. Cause you know, that's something else we'll talk about, about how busy we've been, uh, in terms of trading and whatnot. But, um, I have all my, my watches strewn about my, my, uh, my desk, and then, you know, I'll be in the middle of a conversation, and I'll swap from a Panerai to a Tudor, or a Rolex, or, so I'm literally doing this all day long, and, uh, but the Tudor GMT is, a, it's a, it's the newest piece of my collection, I like it a lot, um, I like the, the rivet, the rivet style bracelet, uh, which is, you know, more of like a vintage feel, which I've, I think I'm realizing more during this, uh, this quarantine period, like, you know, kind of what I really like about watches, and it seems like every watch that I really, really like has some vintage-style element to it, right? So, uh, and in fact, I have, I bought a vintage Tudor as well, so, like, I'm kind of getting into vintage watches somewhat, you know, not, too vintage, I'm not looking for things that are ultra rare, I don't really care about the rarity of the vintage right now, I just like the idea of the, like the style of vintage watches, so like vintage sport watches, you know, Panerai, which is all, you know, all their designs are, uh, these are not super original designs, these are designs that were created back in the the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and I'm I'm a big Panerai guy, I love all my Panerais, and now the Tudors, for that, kind of that same reason too, so, um, you know, without, without Really like a real direction. I've realized by looking at my collection that I I like things that are kind of vintage or vintage inspired, and and so we're in the the Diet Pepsi today, and uh, tra- tracking another time zone for no reason whatsoever because I'm not leaving the house. But uh, I realized that I love GMTs also for some reason. But even though I, I don't really travel that much anymore, though I know it's funny you say that because I like, uh, uh,
1: spoke about on uh yeah. spoke about on our after hour show yesterday uh that I that I don't like GMTs really. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't like GMT
0: hands. Ah, well, I they I mean, clutter the dial. Uh, see, like that's the one thing about I like about GMTs is that it's a way to add another function without, in my opinion, cluttering the dial. And and I think, and I I, I do think that there are some GMTs like well, so like my favorite Panerai's one that I wear all the time, a Panerai two thirty three, which is also GMT. I think it, you know, if the hand blends in enough where you can only see it if you're looking for it, it works. Um, or like, well it's funny my, my only Rolex is a GMT as well it's an uh, an Explorer too with the big orange hand so maybe that maybe actually my opinion is not that but um I, I don't know I don't mind having an extra hand I think that the the Tudor GMT with this the long skinny red hand with the um the marker at the end is like this uh, this diamond shape it doesn't I don't think it clutters it up too much but I can certainly understand that uh that sentiment that it does that having an extra hand would clutter things. Mm-hmm. And, That's you know, funny. back to back to Tudor a little bit, yeah. you know, I think that, you
1: know, it's important to highlight just, you know, the the leaps and bounds that the brand has made, you know, since they relaunched in the U.S. and globally. Right. Um, that was 2014, right? Or
0: 2015?
1: Right around that time period. And, right. um, you know, they, came, they they launched the Black Bay. It was a wild success. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that, the you know, the best thing that they did was sort of diverge from that that uh, that Rolex mold that they'd been in back in the past when they, you know, when they entered the US market and then left. And, you know, when it when it was here back, I think it was the 80s. And I could very well be wrong, but I believe that was the time period. Um, it yeah, sort of got imagine. this reputation for for being like a less expensive Rolex. Like if you couldn't afford or you couldn't buy a Rolex, you know, buy a Tudor. And a lot of the models looked very similar. Um, and so it, it really just... It didn't well, they use hit. a lot of the same parts. Like yeah, like and it's, but it didn't hit the right way. And right. so it ended up just not performing well and it left. And I think that relaunching with these, as you mentioned, sort of nouveau vintage inspired looks and feels uh, in this current environment was just a fabulous idea. And I, I think that, you know, Tudor hits a, an unbelievable value-oriented price point. And I think that it also allows um, – you know, the, let's call it the larger Rolex group to a lesser extent, experiment, experiment with different case materials, experiment with different bracelets and, and, um, in a way in which that Rolex may not. And I think that that's what gives Tudor a relevant edge and, you know, such a, you know,
0: such a force in the market. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent, man. That's a, the it is, they're very experimental and it's funny because a lot of people nowadays don't even realize that they're actually associated with Rolex. Obviously, they're not in the same factory anymore. And But like, so like you were mentioning, in the 80s and 90s, it was just like a less expensive Rolex. In fact, like a 90s uh, Tudor Submariner used a Rolex case, a Rolex crown. Uh, Really, the only difference would have been like the dial. And I think the movement maybe wasn't as high quality at the time. And the bracelet was like, but the bracelet was the same. So it was just like, literally a cheaper Rolex, and I think that's how it started off, but yeah, it's got its own following now. I know guys who would never buy a Rolex, but will buy a Tudor. In fact, I have a a customer who's been asking for six months to find him a a BB58, and one just came in, so before it even hit the website, uh, he bought the watch, but he's been waiting for six months to find a BB58. Like, (laughs) you know, so literally, he's he's on a wait list for a BB58, and, uh, you know, a a Tudor. You would think that, you know, it should be a dime a dozen but there are some some watches out there that have super strong followings like that bb bb58 and i think that yeah tudor is doing a great job so right now i'm on a on a tudor kick uh, we'll see how long it lasts but uh but yeah awesome. so that's that's what's on my wrist man so uh do you have a tudor by any chance uh i do not have a tudor do you have you ever had a tudor i have never had
1: a tudor but uh i actually have gone back and forth between acquiring like an old snowflake
0: uh, yeah, I think it's worth it. Like the vintage tutors, they're, they've definitely kind of gone up in price. I mean, I know back, like when I started in the industry, 2012, 2013, you could buy them literally like $2,500. You could find like a, like a legit vintage, uh, you know, Tudor Submariner print, something like this. And now you can see they're in the five, six, seven thousand $7,000 range, which, you know, they're creeping up. Um, so everything's benefiting from, you know, a boom in the watch market. And, uh, and that's kind of where, we're, you know, it's going to, we have a very specific topic today, guys, and that's Patek. Um, but we can kind of talk about, and I guess you would you could say there was two main models that were responsible for this boom that we saw or we're seeing even still in the watch market. That's the the Daytona, which was like basically a vintage Daytona sold at auction for an absurd amount of money. But also the other watch that caught fire that kind of caused everything else to to explode in value. You know, all boats rise type scenario was a fifty seven eleven the blue dial variant, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm so so we can we're seeing a or we saw a, a an explosion in value and then now with with this covid uh and i've talked to Manjos about this and a few other that you know i i don't know if it's if this has affected the vast majority of watch buyers financially as much as say like people who maybe are on a lower income bracket which you know just just it is what it is but uh we have seen prices kind of slide down about 10 to 15 percent Right, which if you would have told me back in in uh, March or April that that's all you would have saw uh, of that kind of slide, I would have said, well, no. I mean, this looks like the whole world's ending. This is going to be a financial disaster. But we've seen things starting to hold. I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna predict the future. But um, we saw about a 10 to 15 percent um, slide, and I'll let you kind of give your, I'll let you give me your opinion on it. But I, I feel like what it did was it gave an excuse to people who have been, you know, who have been chasing these watches and paying so much to pay slightly less, like a, a number that they're more comfortable with, and then without saying, oh, well, the bubble popped. You know, this is the reason why we're paying less is because of COVID. So it's giving you an excuse to pay less, but it hasn't destroyed the value. So you're not seeing 5711s trading, a pre-owned trading at, at you know, at retail or below. They're still trading well above, but less than maybe from 75 down to like 55 as opposed to from 75 down to 30, right? And you're seeing that across, kind of across the board. So the hottest watches are still trading above Retail, but they've slid down to a to a, a a price point that makes people feel a little bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're seeing that same thing or, or what your opinion is on that.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I think that it's not just, you know, it's not just Patek that's experiencing that, right? I think that I would say right. it's it's any watch that was a part of the hype machine, and by hype mm-hmm. machine, I mean watches that were heavily promoted by people, you know, on Instagram and social media. Um, that boomed over the last several years and you know there's AP models that happened with there's RM there's you know there's certain limited editions from different brands and particularly paddock Philippe sport models and you know if we say that the 5711 you know that's the benchmark watch to use in in any of these examples let's say it was a 65 to 70 thousand dollar watch and it's now for a pre-owned example has dropped down to for lack of a better number 55,000 you know And then varying degrees of difference based on condition, age, things like that, um, you know, the floor didn't fall out. And, you know, I think that, you know, almost surprisingly, right? No, I mean, you know, I think that certain of the outlier fringe watches that boomed as a result of this, um, I think fell a little bit more. and rm, you
0: know rm we've seen like a rm but some of the you know models.
1: but even certain paddock nautilus models that i think experienced major growth and then retracted when you know it wasn't the most popular example of the watch in the first place but tone and rose gold maybe yeah that I, I, I could you know that you know that is an example um mm-hmm. but you know i think that one of the benefits that happened and you know as, as bat, you know not that there really can be a benefit of this happening but In 2008 production continued. And with this, I think that Mm. at least the factory shutting down and shipments shutting down globally helped insulate the watch market because uh, there's just less product flooding in. So I think that if you had had everything going on and prices falling with new product also being pumped into the system, prices probably would have fallen further. But, you know, but the market as a whole was already somewhat dry or um, not as oversaturated as many people think that it was. So product that's selling out right now is product that had already been in the market and it's just not being replenished. And I think that that's, you know, one of the many reasons why uh, you see prices stabilizing, but that's also on across the range right like i think that activity has slowed down but inexpensive inventory that has sold out or that's already moved during the during the crisis um you know there's there's room for for more pieces to come in and i think as a result when when product dries out prices tend to creep back up yeah you know what i like that
0: because that's that's a that's a fact i really didn't think about um in comparison to say 2008 which was since then. Huh. that's interesting I hadn't thought about it from that factor and I like that uh I, I like using that as a uh, uh, as a factor as well that's interesting yeah and I think uh, that you know what's so
1: interesting yeah. to me is you know I, I think that these prices going up or down ends up being the topic of so many conversations both within the let's call it collector community and with customers mm-hmm. and so when the prices go down you know there's this Feeling that oh my god prices are crashing and you know it's it's funny just to think about you know prices are crashing but they're going from sixty five thousand and they're not actually crashing but they're going from let's call it sixty five thousand to fifty five thousand on a thirty thousand dollar retail watch that wasn't necessarily even the case five years ago like if you go back five years all of these watches were readily available they all traded at a discount to retail in the pre-owned market. And right. the only watch, for the most part, that traded above retail was the Patek Philippe Enamel World Time that was an application watch, and that right. watch retailed, I think, in the, in the '60s, and it would trade for around one thirty. And uh, everything else was just available. Fifty-seven eleven, you know, would trade at a discount um, yeah, in the pre-owned a slight market. slight discount, but it was um, yeah, in the pre-owned people. market, and it was available new right. if you just wanted to wait a little bit. Um, so you know, it's amazing what's happened in five years, but I just think that, um, you know, if you're expecting these watches to go back up, um, to be honest, I don't really think anybody knows what's, what's going to happen. I think that you've seen the, you know, the prices somewhat stabilized for now. Uh, we'll see what happens when, when more product starts getting shipped into the market. But for right now, this is where it's at. And, you know, but I'd say the most value to be picked up and it's, you know, I've been preaching this for a while now, and um, I think it's just in in the non-sport pieces. And right. you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just think that there's so much value in watches like the Fifty Nine Sixty. You know, the, yeah. their annual, their you know, their annual calendar chronograph that had retailed in the in the '90s when it came out, and you can pick them up in the, in the low '40s right now. And I just think yeah. that there's such tremendous value for those watches relative to what else is out there. And that when this is all over and those pieces have been cleaned out of the market just because prices have come down and they've been purchased, those are gonna be the watches that I think customers look back at in five, 10 years and say, you know, I can't believe there was an annual calendar chrono available for 44,000. Just because again, they they did trade at one point in the 60s. So no different than the, The world time that I just mentioned was a $130,000 watch for years, for years and years and years that watch traded in the one thirties regularly, regardless of what metal you got. And now you can pick one up sub a hundred and that's because of, you know, just the hype machine of everything else. And it's not as relevant and pertinent on online, but that's a watch for me that there really is a level of scarcity. Uh, and rarity to the piece, and I don't see why one day they don't go back to where they're at.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Well, I, so I had that conversation with Mandris as well, and and about you know thinking about what paddock is and kind of what their history is and what what their core pieces are, and it's not sport watches, you know, like that's that was kind of always an afterthought. And a lot of people like the Aquanaut. When I got into this industry, the Aquanaut was not like a hot watch. It was nice; people liked it. It was just like if you were Patek, if you if you had some paddocks it would be like, all right, well, let me add, I like to wear my, you know, my 5296 or or my whatever, maybe a 5960. So I kind of want to have, I want to wear a paddock all the time. So let me put this rubber strap paddock on my wrist, but it would trade pre-owned below list. And now again, that's a watch that benefited from, from this, the steel watch or, or the steel sport watch hype and is, you know, was, but was never really a loved piece, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I think that you had a lot of factors that, that played
1: into it. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just social media. You had, and this is no different than let's call it guys wearing suits to work in the past. And now, you know, right. you don't see as many guys wearing suits to work anymore. They're wearing slightly more casual clothing. So oh, yeah. I think that that trend I'm behind that movement is, by the way. is prevalent everywhere. And I think that You know, we've talked about watches that are extremely um, utilitarian and useful and you can dress them up and dress them down. And I think that that's why these, let's call it not super sport watches, but also not dress watches became really popular, like the Royal Oak and the Nautilus and the Aquanaut, because you could wear them all the time. You could wear the watch to a wedding and you could wear it if you wanted to,
0: to the beach, so, so what does your dad say? Beach, beach to, the to tux. Uh, uh, well, I'll say beach to boardroom. I like that better. But uh, That's an alliteration. And, you know, and I think that
1: that was important to people. And I think that that, so I think that, you know, that was important that somebody could buy a really nice timepiece that they could wear all the time and not feel like they had to have many different ones.
0: And so you had that, you know, coming into effect. Um, you honestly. So, well, I have a question go in ahead. regards to that then. Why do you think then the 5980 in steel? didn't become what like a 5711 or or any of the aquanauts or any of that stuff did like it seems like the black dial variant has a bump because it's like basically like a one-year run but the white dial variant is i mean you can find them they're readily available tons for sale all below list price i mean i personally you're love talking them. the 5980 steel oh sorry did i say 80 5960 Sorry. Right. So the fifty nine sixty. Why? Yeah. You know, why do you think that that didn't benefit from this boom? So do you think that that's a watch that in the future will be like super collectible? People are going to look back and say, "What the hell? Why is this so cheap?" Yeah. So honestly, I think that that's a watch that that does go overlooked. I think that yeah. the
1: reason is that uh, number one, the watch the watch was discontinued before, for the most part, before everything took off. So. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't as relevant as Aquanauts and Nautiluses because they weren't. It wasn't getting
0: re-released. Like the steel version of the watch uh, was already gone, um, and interesting. So you're saying that because it had been discontinued before is the reason why it didn't get it, it didn't uh, receive that bump. But you would think that that's like counterintuitive. Whereas, like, all right, well, it's been discontinued, so there's now there's a finite amount of these. It's not like a, a, you know a, an imagine a, an assuming infinite amount. Like we're like a 5711, an Aquanaut, all these watches are, are, are still being produced. So, and there's no timeline in, uh, as to when they're gonna, going to, going uh, to discontinue them. And they're still, you know, bonkers in terms of, uh, of price point.
1: Yeah. So I think that for example, uh, the last iteration of the 5960 was the 5960 slash 01G, which was a white gold 5960 with like a brown calfskin strap and blue dial. And yeah, If that had been a all stainless version of the watch with a blue dial, I think you would see the 5960 in a very different place. Uh, But I think that for the most part, the knowledge of the steel one is maybe more relegated to, to collectors that were following the brand several years back. It's a little bit of a more esoteric piece. And it's also not fully sport, fully dressed. It's not, it doesn't have as large a wrist presence on the wrist, I think, as the way that a Nautilus looks and feels. We always talk about being able to recognize a watch from a distance, and you know I can recognize a fifty nine sixty from a distance, but I would say that most folks can't. And but if you follow anything about watches, you can recognize any Nautilus from a distance because of the shape of the case. And I do believe that that is a a big factor in this. Um, That makes sense. You know, I think maybe
0: it's it has it's like a little too dressy, maybe. Is that like, because it's like, uh, you know, it has like somewhat of a rounded case as opposed to like sharp edges. And if you look, I'm just, I'm just like, just off the top of my head thinking about most of the, the hottest watches have maybe, you know, sharp edges and, you know, the Submariner, although the Daytona though, it has a similar K shape. So I think it's, I, I just, make, I think it's, I think it's good. just Sorry.
1: recognized. I, I think it's being able to be recognized from five to six feet away that somebody knows what you're wearing and the 5960 didn't necessarily fulfill that function. Um, and, but you know, the black dial variant, which was produced, uh, last and in a very short time period actually trades for over lists. So I think the, I yeah, think list was 51,000. Yeah. List was about 51,000, uh, they
0: like 60 right now, and they trade
1: around 60 to 65. So, you know, I think that, that, that really bodes well for the, for the watch as a whole. I'm a big fan of it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and there's been mixed opinions, right? Like it, it wasn't. It wasn't hailed as the end all and be all. You know, a lot of collectors felt that. You know, is is it is it a sport watch? Is it not? I can't really swim with it. Is it stainless
0: steel? I can't really wear it like a tool watch. It's all high. You can't pol- swim with it. That's right. Correct. So it doesn't. It doesn't have a screw down crown. Though a Nautilus doesn't have a screw down crown, does it? It does. Oh, it does. It yeah, does. No, yeah, exactly. um, yeah, it's and it's so you know, I think that for that reason, it, it sort
1: of was an in. You know, like an in between watch, and it was all high polish. Which some people love, some people don't. So I think that that's one of the yeah. reasons why you know it didn't land the same the same category as the, the Nautilus and Aquanaut.
0: Well, I will say my Grail, like when I first got into watches and I was like you know trying to figure out what I liked and whatnot. The, and this was before the Fifty Seven Eleven was a it was a you know an insane at an insane price point. You know when they were trading in the twenties, that was the watch I thought like oh this is a greatest watch. We're, I've completely changed. I think that, it because uh, I've never owned a, a Paddock before, my first Paddock, and I think a watch that, if if I buy it, I'll keep it forever, would be the white dial variant of the 5960 in steel. I, I love that watch. I was actually visiting a customer a couple days ago, and he has that watch. He doesn't like it on a bracelet. He put it on like an aftermarket strap with like a black with red stitching. So it, it really, uh, it, it showed off like the accents on the dial with the red, the red um, chrono hand, and, and I, that watch is amazing. I, I could definitely see owning that watch and just keeping it forever. So yeah, no, I,
1: I was always a fan of the watch, and I, I had a similar. I, I've thought similarly in the past. You know, why hasn't this watch, you know, boomed in the same way? And you know, you go back and forth, and you see the reasons why. And you know, I think that uh, ultimately, uh, it's just it's a great it's a great watch. You know, when you think about when you think about a. You know when you when you think about on relative values right like you have an annual calendar chronograph right trading for you know the watch trades for let's call it 40,000 low 40 you know low sure. 40s yeah. trading for 12,000 less than a time only 5711 So <laughs> and it's an annual calendar product so at, at that point you realize like it's it's not so much about complications anymore, how complicated is this watch versus that watch? I think it just a lot of it's just supply and demand and marketability and and what does the consumer
0: want? And I think that this this represents that perfectly yeah, exactly it's not it, there's no logic to the the value of these watches it It is like eighty five percent of supply and demand, then marketability is some of it, and then you know, uh, somebody noticing that one year they did uh, a variant that had, you know, uh, one of the hash marks was slightly shorter than the others. And now that's the collectible model. Like, you know, there's not, not a, uh, not a ton of logic that goes into to the, uh, the value of these things, but, um, but yeah, that'll, that's a watch on my list for sure. So, well, you know, I, I think that's, that we did a, a good sum of kind of the market, what we're seeing right now and whatnot. So, one thing that I wanted to touch on with you, Brian, and you know, because you're you're locked in, obviously, you know, you've been dealing with Paddock the brand for a long time, and and you know, this COVID thing threw everybody for a loop. Obviously, World essentially is doesn't exist anymore, right? That's that was the last Gunzo. press release that I hope they you know, have the uh, I hope they have the as long as they have the veal sausages at the next
1: <laughs> at the uh, at the Geneva show. Uh, so I'm okay.
0: <laughs> so, well, so S I H H has become watches and wonders, and they've. They did their releases online, and that might become a thing now. And uh, but so Rolex and Patek, uh, roughly in April, both said, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to postpone or cancel our our new releases. Rolex has come out and said that they are going to be releasing new product this year. So uh, uh, Mandos and I speculated on all that and had some fun talking about it. It seems like Patek will not be uh releasing models this year, but I don't know if you're, you know, if you've heard any rumors, it doesn't sound like. Like, Paddock themselves are, are very tight-lipped. They're not going to, like, you know, they're not going to give anybody any insider information. But have you seen or heard anything online that, that gives us hope that maybe they will be releasing anything, uh, you know, this year? Any new product? Yeah, I mean, you know,
1: again, this is just my opinion. I don't know for sure.
0: But right. I, I do think that you're
1: going to see some sort of launch. And I don't necessarily know if it's going to be the full product line. But I do think that you'll see them at, at least release a few pieces. um Hopefully, sometime over the next several months, just you know, just to just to keep customers and collectors engaged, you know, Rolex mm-hmm. and Patek Philippe, they're their own beast, right? Like you know, you they're their own part of the industry relative to everybody else, and I think that some of the other brands that had to launch, you know, again, they're forced to launch to stay relevant in collectors' minds, uh, cr- you know, create commerce. Patek Philippe and Rolex can afford if they want to to wait, but yeah, take a year off. But I do think that uh, I do think that it was overall a smart move by both brands' parts. I think that uh, you know, in a in a time like this, um, when you still have watches that were launched last year that you need to deliver and that you want to deliver, and collectors are waiting for, you know, you don't necessarily want to come out with a whole breadth of new product when a lot of your clients are still waiting for what came out last year. So I think that that's one factor. And then, you know, I think during times like this, um, a brand like Patek Philippe is, is supporting their retailer. They're reaching out to us. What can we do to support you? What can we do to help? Um, what does the year look like plotting, planning? And I think that, you know, you've got two brands, Rolex and Patek Philippe, and, and there's others, but you know, I'm using those as the examples that, are behind the scenes really working with their partners in order to see what they can do to help and assist, and then you have others that are, you know, launching their their new product lines. That while retailers are closed, you can go and you can order it from the boutique. So yeah. I think that it's such a it's such a difference in just um,
0: yeah their business model. You know,
1: yeah, I mean, in, you know, not necessarily the models. But when you look at when you look at the character when you look at the character of the brands uh, and just yeah. um, and that's one of the you know the reasons why I respect um,
0: the Stern so much and Paddock leap so much. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it seems like they've always understood that you know they had partners and you know every, every time there's any type of uh, situation that comes up, it seems like yeah Paddock is, is always, been very good to their partners and understand that, you know, that we're all working together as opposed to working against because you've seen brands we're not going to name, but in the past that, yeah, would release, you know, uh, they they would release special editions that you can only buy online from their website. So and as a dealer, you're left out in the cold, right? You have all these customers that you've been building for for how many years, you know, help, helping sell, you know, sell a normal product. And then there's like a special piece that one of your customers wants to say, hey, listen, man, just like everybody else, you got to go online and buy it. So, you know, Rolex and Paddock have, have never seen that model. I don't really think that that they are going to be going that way uh, anytime soon or really ever, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I,
1: I uh, again,
0: they're, you know, effectively family-owned companies.
1: I think that they can do what they want to yeah. do. And um, you know they don't have to answer really to anybody, and I think as you know that comes through and just you know the partnership as a whole. But I I, I do think right. you will see releases at some point now that Bowser World's officially canceled and that yeah. it's done. You know I'm sure that there is a plan in place in order to present some new and exciting things. And Paddock Lee did discontinue a lot of models last year. I mean the bulk of the Calatrava line has been discontinued. You saw discontinuations right. in some of their annual calendars. So I do think that there are a lot of places where you're going to see really cool and exciting things come from them, uh, especially within well, those product lines. And there's yeah. things that I know that I want uh, that I'd love to see. Like I would love to see Patek Philippe build out their, their, their pilot line. I think that, you know, I'm, I was a big fan of the 5524, the, the, really? the pilot watch travel time when it came out. Um, I think that when very they very controversial, Definitely a controversial watch, I think, but you know what? I think that it's like Apple, right? Like, you know, that when Apple comes out with a new iPhone, you always have people that will be like, well, they should have done this or that, or they could have done this, but it's still the freaking iPhone. So, <laughs> you know, and I think one of the best, one of the best um comments that I had heard when I was at what and I was talking about it with uh I guess it was a I think it was one of the bloggers or somebody that writes for one of the bigger watch publications. You know, it was sort of talking about, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know about the watch, you know, that maybe they should have done this, yada, yada, yada. But then when presented with, but would you buy the watch if you were offered it? The response was, of course, (laughs) what am I, a moron? Of course I would take it. So, (laughs) so so it's just, it's funny. And I think that that happens so much, right? Like you're just, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're 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 talking about what you would or would not have done, no different than if you have a really good football coach. You know what? You know you've got fans saying what what play would they have run in that situation? But you know you're still comparing yourself to one of the best coaches in the NFL. So yeah, um, I think I'd really love to see them build out that product line. I think that it serves a good niche within the brand, and there's a lot of different directions that they can take it.
0: Yeah. I think I'd agree. I think, yeah, I'm I, looking back at the list. They did discontinue far more than they released, right? So last year you got the 5212A, which has been an interesting piece. Um, it's not, it's certainly not for everybody. So in, in the same vein as, as like the 5524, it's a watch that's very controversial, but yeah, if anybody got that call today, hey, I have this watch available for you. They're buying that watch. Uh, you know, because it's a paddock, but also it's, because people know that this thing's going to hold value. That if they if they get it and they absolutely hate it, there's going to be an easy way out of that watch. Um, I I like that watch. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the tra- uh, of the pilot watches. I mean they're 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 interesting. They're cool. It's a nice departure from what Paddock was doing before. And it's not just another sport watch, right? Though they did make the watch in steel as well. But the fifty two twelve I think is is got so much character. The story about how the dial. uh, uh, you know, they came to use that dial. Basically somebody in on the, on the design team, like mocked up a handwritten version of, of the dial. And that was basically used as like a, um, as what, like a placeholder. And then they decided, let's just use this. We like this so much. So it looks like the the dial is basically handwritten, right? Um, which is, which is fantastic And the, in the weekly calendar is such a, a unique, um, uh, complication that, I mean, I'm trying to think of another brand that offers that, right? Do, is there another watch that, you know, another brand that, uh, that offers a weekly calendar calendar in this, in this way?
1: I mean, off the top of my head, no, but I'm sure that if I, if I like really started looking through, yeah, I, I could, know. I could find something, I could find something similar. Um, but I, again, I was, when they came out with the 5320, which was, you know, their, mm-hmm version of an instantaneous perpetual calendar that was nouveau vintage stepped lugs cream color dials syringe hands luminescent arabic numerals like i love the watch and this was paddock philippe's really first sort of nouveau vintage watch that that they that they launched and i just think that it again just another product line within their within their family of watches that fulfilled a really good purpose Um, and expanded out the product line then you know you now have the 5212 which again another reference that i would say sort of falls into that looking category but there's a lot of directions that they can that they can take this uh, and i think that again having casual dress having casual sport they had the aquanaut they had the nautilus um, you know you the pilot watches that in between you know right it's that yep. it's that hey yep. i don't necessarily want something so sporty but I also don't want something so traditional, and I think that Patek has its roots in so many different pieces. That you know, I, I hate when I hate when collectors or bloggers would say, "Well, like you know, they came, they came out with a pilot watch out of nowhere." You know, no, that's 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 not true. Like if you go and visit the museum, you would see so many different pieces that they could draw inspiration from that they that they had made in the past. So.
0: Oh really? Um, so they, they have they has Paddock made uh in the in the you know in the very far past they've made uh some sort of pilot's watch? They or, have during the war or something like this. Mm-hmm, or? mm-hmm. Oh interesting. I didn't know that. I'm gonna have to do some research. That's cool. Vintage pilot. I'll put that on my on my list of things to, to research today. That's awesome. So I mean so okay, so then I guess my next question would be, you know, if you're speculating on what they're, what type of watch they're going to release, or what, what would you like them to release? What are you thinking? Like in a perfect world, you make a decision. All right, this is, you know, this is what I, uh, this is what I want to see from Patek. What are you seeing?
1: So, in a such a loaded question, um, in yep. so in a perfect world for me, I would love to see them just revamp the Calatrava line a little bit. I think that, okay. you know, in, in today's world, and, and, it's, and it's unfortunate, and it wasn't necessarily this way, um, so many consumers are constantly now like, and, and it comes with the transparency of what things are worth, you know, as the pre-owned market has grown and the internet, let's call it the internet for watches and social media has grown, you know, you have this idea that what I pay for a paddock should be what it's worth, and that's just not true. You know, it wasn't true five years ago. So I think that as a result, it's almost forced consumers wanting the product cycle of these watches to be even, to be even faster, like switch a dial faster, sure. uh, limit production, like, you know, how many of this did they make? Or are they going to make? And, you know, I think that a lot of the watches that were in the line have been made for a long time. I think that they just need some minor tweaks, make them a little bit more contemporary or relevant and, and go on their way. But, you know, I'd love to see, I'd love to see some more steel bracelet pieces um, that are, that's outside the Nautilus family. Um, I, I, I would love, and it's not going to happen. Um, I really would love to see them experiment with, with other materials. Um, oh. And I, I don't believe it. Like Panerai. Yeah. You know what? Maybe not to the extreme, but I, I do think that, and they've used titanium in the past for, for super super special one one off pieces, I would love to see a titanium Aquanaut of some sort, and it's not going to happen. Yeah. But it's like one of those dreams I wish. But I do think that what you're going to see coming from the brand, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see a revamped Calatrava line, uh, sizes a little bit larger as opposed to where they were. I think you're going to see uh, possibly some more watches on steel bracelets. I think you're going to see some uh, discontinuations moving forward of certain Nautiluses or Aquanauts. I think you'll see certain, certain pieces transitioning to a precious metal. Um, you know, like again, like a 5990 has been, has been made the same way for years in stainless steel in one iteration. At some point, we know they're, they're going to transition that watch into a different material, whether it's all rose or I, I don't really see it on the strap. But we're two-tone, you know, it's just, it, it's the next phase of the cycle.
0: But, you know, well, so I, I, there's a guy who claims to have inside information. and Anytime anybody's told me that, it's always been BS. But he told me that, uh, and this was back in January or so, like before we, before the apocalypse started, uh, they, uh, he said that they were going to release a 42 millimeter Nautilus called a 6711. And I said, all right, well, we'll see. So, I mean, I guess... I don't know if that... Do you. How do you feel about uh, the chances of something like that happening?
1: I think it's definitely possible. You know, I think that when the 5976 came out, which was the anniversary Nautilus, it was 44 millimeter. And... Right. It's so white gold. All white gold, gold. Was yeah, white gold. And for the most part, collectors all agreed that it was a little bit too big. It was just too big a watch. Mm-hmm. I think the brand realized it as well. But... Uh, ultimately, they came out with the watch. It's done fantastic. I mean, don't get me wrong. It retailed for around 100000 or so, and they now trade double that at least. Double that. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. performed exceptionally well. I don't think they would go to 44 millimeters, but I don't think that 42 is outside the question. I, I, I could see something coming along and them doing that. And again, they just discontinued the 5711 white. So... Could it be that they come out yep. with a forty-two millimeter white dial piece or forty-two millimeter black dial piece to complement the fifty-seven eleven, of course. And there's yeah. no
0: reason why that wouldn't that wouldn't that wouldn't be the case. Um, I'd love to see a. Sp- I can see from a marketable marketability standpoint a forty-two because the current forties are, are are too small for a lot of people, like you even said for your wrist. Well, you know, well a 42 forty fits me as a
1: size really well. I think. Again, a stainless steel Daytona is still forty millimeter. A sub is still forty millimeter. Um, oh, so, man. but I don't think they're going to change it. I think I think forty millimeter is the size. And you know, while there is a, a need for forty two, don't get me wrong. They make a forty two millimeter Aquanaut. So it shows that they understand that the trend is there and that the demand is there, right? So they've got forty two millimeter Aquanauts. It lends itself to. Hey, there'll probably be a forty-two millimeter Nautilus at some point in the future. I'd love to see yellow gold. I'd le- I, I would honestly like to see yeah yellow gold brought back. I think that there's a desire for yellow gold both within the men's collection and within the ladies' collection. You know, I I would love to see a fifty-seven eleven uh, instead of a slash one R, which is the rose on a bracelet. I'd love to see a yellow gold black dial. I mean, I just think it would be
0: it would be bonkers, be disgusting. Yeah. Well, that might. Like recently, and I've had this conversation with a few collectors that I know, the uh, the the yellow gold black dial Submariner, I think, is the watch that doesn't get enough, you know, uh, heat, and that is like the the variant that you should own. Like if you want like just like a hot, like a badass watch, and I think that a Nautilus, a forty two millimeter black dial yellow gold Nautilus, would be unbelievable.
1: Mm hmm, mm-hmm. and you know I. There's so much discussion that consistently surrounds, you know, what's going to come out, what's new and, you know, but, but it's, and and that just creates the cycle back to of each year, you know, it's a, you know, a new release, what's coming out and, um, you know,
0: what's the Exactly. The exactly. ADD and all of us, you know, we're all just waiting for refresh, refresh, you know, the 24-hour news cycle. And that's that's kind of been like the antithesis of or, or the the opposite of how Swiss watch brands have, have operated. They've, you know, patience, and the idea of a Swiss watch is being made by hand. It takes, whatever, nine months or a year to make one watch. All these things is the opposite of kind of what the trends have been in just in, in modern human history now, right? So, you know, everything has gone towards... Instant gratification and now, 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 and even with you know the rise of social media, people are always looking for the newest thing. And and you know, like some guys are just buying watches so that they could be the first guy on Instagram to post the picture of the watch on this. wrist. Correct. Scenario. And but you know what, there
1: are, and and it's funny because you know as a result, like there's so many watches that get that get discontinued or get transitioned out or that just exist in the marketplace that you know through one reason or another, if they're not as popular online, they sort of you know, the value depreciates. And you know, I, I look at the 5170 line, which is Paddock's uh, you know, that they're when they when they launched their first in-house chronograph. And right, those watches are gorgeous. And they're, they're a good mm-hmm. size, they're beautiful. Uh, you know, I do think that you can dress them up or dress them down. it's a 39 millimeter watch, so it's exceedingly wearable. Those watches now are anywhere from let's call it big range but 40 to 55,000. And sure. again, I just look at you can buy a Patek Philippe in-house Chrono for 40 to 55,000, which is the low end of the 5711 range. And I just I just think there's such exceptional value in these pieces and there's just so many good watches out there that that go overlooked but are just tremendously good buys. Another one, the 5930G white gold world time chrono you know paddock came out with that watch and it actually launched a pretty big fanfare and then it sort of it went away they they didn't end up creating new iterations of it until the singapore edition of the watch and i love that watch like i think it's a super useful complication it's 39 and a half millimeters it was a blue dial i would love to see more come from that particular watch or that particular line. Like I just think that there's so much that they could do with that. And you know what's so funny is is there's not a lot of brands that can do this, but but paddock's in in the position that just changing a dial can revamp an entire line or an entire watch. The the 5270 oh, yeah. uh I would say got a little stag. The P you're talking about with the, Well they the came P out right with there. the platinum and salmon which you know which right. you know shot off the entire line and really helped all the other pieces. But There was a lot of iterations over the years with the chin, with no chin. And, you know, the line probably became somewhat stagnant. And then they, you know, they came out with the 5270 platinum, which I think uh, has done tremendously well. So, but it'll be interesting to see where they, where they take that from here, right? Because the consumer now is so used to, okay, what's next? What's the next 5270? But why does there necessarily need to be a next 5270? It's a flagship line you know, why it's, it's like saying Mercedes should get rid of the S 500. No, they shouldn't. Like it's, it's their flagship, it's their flagship car. Now they may make nuanced changes, but it should always be here. And I think that the 5270 is, 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 is no, is no exception, right? I, I really do believe it should always be here. Do I think that they can change, they can change a dial, which changes the watch? Yes. But the other thing that they can do, which helps the consumer, helps the brand, is they can discontinue a watch for a while, right? Like they could, if they wanted to discontinue the 5270 for three to five years and bring it back, similar case, same movement, different dial five years from now, and it would be, you know, almost a a complete restart.
0: Right, you let people start thinking about it. Like that's exactly right. So by releasing a new model doesn't always make people you know, recognize it. Whereas if you, if you discontinue it, then you'll get more people talking about it. Well, so like, here's one. What about the, the 5172G? Uh, released, what, two years ago? Was that two years or last year? So that watch, I thought that watch was fantastic, but I feel like it didn't get any or any or all of the heat that it deserves. Right. So is that, is that the same movement as the 5170, Or is that an upgraded movement now? So same movement as 5170, syringe hands, different pushers, I think the watch has a lot of merit. and Well, the, mean, the watch has done, like I mean, demand, again,
1: they're... it's the watch has done very well. The, the issue that's happened is it came out last year and this entire... Have they delivered a lot? They haven't that? delivered a lot, but COVID came right during their, let's call it, delivery window. You know, the watch was a little bit delayed, I would say, in terms of delivery, which, again, is not outside the norm. Things happen, but all of this transpire now when the watch was just starting to get delivered. So I think that there's this pent up demand and pent up uh, amount of people that are waiting for the piece. But you know, you've yeah. just had a long time since it launched without the watch also being delivered. So, you know, what happens with deliveries is when this watch gets delivered to collectors all over the world, you could be a collector in Vietnam, in the United States, wherever you are, you're posting it online. So that's when you start seeing mm-hmm. fifty one, you know, because you know, like if you are, if you have a fifty one seventy two on order, which again, if you go online and look, you can, you know, it's their, it's their new chrono, There's, it's their new chrono with a yeah. slightly larger case, step step logs, beautiful watch pump pushers, you know, you don't see anybody taking deliveries, like you know, when people get Nautiluses or when new things come out and they start getting delivered, you see it on social. You start seeing this guy got it, that guy got it. It makes you call your retailer and say, hey, when's my coming? Oh, I want this. Oh, it looks great on the wrist. And without that, I do think you sort of forget about it a little bit. You know, because deliveries aren't happening, you're not seeing it online. It's not top of mind. You're seeing the same people posting the same watches. But once you start seeing them delivered and once you start seeing more wrist shots of the watch out in the wild, I think you'll start seeing that energy come back.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm seeing here, like if I look on Chrono 24, uh, which is all, you know, all pre-owned watches being traded, there's 10 listings of which probably three of them have actual live photos of the watch. So I assume, you know, most of these is, is one, one guy who all these dealers know, and they're all posting the watch at slightly different price points. So there's probably only, you know, for sale, literally maybe three of these out in the wild. So like, yeah, this is not a watch that's that's being like traded heavily, clearly because it hasn't correct. Been
1: and you know, you'll start seeing you know uh, you know more focus on it once they start getting delivered. And again, I think that mm-hmm. this this watch to me, um, I look at it like it's in a similar vein of the fifty three twenty. It's sort of a vintage inspired okay. chrono. I actually think that instead of just having one range of chronos, I, I actually think that they could have more. So I would love to see them have sort of this watch almost be its own standalone piece and still have a reinterpretation of what the 5170 was, a slightly more classical chrono, and, and, and have both. Um, it's funny, you know, when Paddock, you know, uh, several years back released the 7150, which was, it's, it's actually a ladies' watch. So it's it's the 7150 slash two fifty rose. And the watch is it's a ladies watch, diamond bezel. You know, it's a it's actually it was inspired by a vintage piece, but it's thirty eight millimeters, rose gold, Breguet numerals. Uh Looks like a to Roger me, to the watch is fantastic. like I love this watch. Like I would almost wear it yeah. in its current inter- it's in its funky. current interpretation. I think that this could have just it.
0: 38 millimeters. No,
1: and I, I think that this could have just as easily be a men's watch. And to me, I like I think it would be super cool, like even just having this watch in yellow gold with a black dial and no diamonds, that it would Ooh. do exceptionally well.
0: Wow, it's got a pulsometer. Wow, that is, this is a funky yeah. watch. Look at this. So I'm seeing uh, 85,000 retail roughly trading – I mean, I'm looking at asking prices in the '60s. I bet you, as a ladies' piece, you might even be able to find it less. That's very interesting. Yeah, that that's that's a watch that I I would love to see this being expanded upon. Look at that. It looks it looks like an early Roger Dubuis, which I know you. Yeah, no, I mean, I
1: love well. the lugs. I think that you know, because because of the Pathetic way that it's set up, it would time. probably have slightly larger wrist presence than a than the millimeter than size, the or? than the millimeter size. But what's so but what's interesting is it, and I hadn't I hadn't seen this um, ladies before, Obama. um,
0: you're going to cause a run on this watch. I, 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 I would, <laughs> uh, I would love that. Yeah. Even the same iteration with a black dial would be great, but yeah, this is beautiful. This watch is really nice because it's on the paddock website. It's actually, in my, well, so up? there's it's right and next it's, to the 5170. And, and what's interesting though is, is, and
1: so, uh, Corey Gamble, and I don't know, again, I don't know if anybody's even going to recognize the name, which is Chris Jenner's boyfriend, is a, is a big powder oh, okay. collector. Uh, has a lot of pieces, really cool pieces. And he was actually wearing a an all-diamond ladies luche, which to me, I was like, wow, like that's actually pretty cool. Like, as gem set watches have become much more prevalent, you see it from Rolex, you see it from a lot of other brands – uh, you know, I'm very much into set watches as well. I was like, I was like, isn't that watch 36 millimeter? And then I went and I looked, and I'm like, no, that's actually the only Luce that's made in 38 millimeters. So, which is the same size mm. as the 5065, which is very much a wearable size for a guy. And I was like, that's super cool. What's the reference? Um, of Luce? I don't. I don't I know the reference that. off the top of my head. I can. I can take a look. I'm gonna look on Patek Philippe's website right now while we're while we're talking. Um, sure. But Patek actually discontinued their. Um, it's the 50. Give me one second. I will tell you. It, it's the 5062, which is actually 38.8 millimeter. It is a 39 millimeter watch.
0: That's so it point. is a
1: men's watch. So the the. Last iteration of the Ladies' Luce was, um, give me one second here and I will tell you, was 35.6. So they've since discontinued the, ladies, the ladies' Luce pieces. I think they're going to come out in a larger size. Maybe not as big as as that, but somewhere in between. But to me, what
0: it was— Well, if you want, you can buy one of these on eBay today for only 200 no, and No, and,
1: and to be honest, what is super interesting is— is I spoke to Paddock about the watch. I said, Have you been seeing men ordering this watch? And they said, If you believe it, yes. Like they've been getting a lot of orders from male collectors to buy this piece just because mm. Paddock, Paddock's gem set watches for you know, for Nautiluses and you know, even Aquanauts, I don't know if there even are any on Aquanauts, are exceedingly rare and hard to get. And this was this was orderable. So I was like, that's awesome. And to me, it immediately made me think of the 7150 where I was like, you know what? That is another watch that that yeah. male collectors should be ordering if you like diamonds at all because it is awesome and I've worn it and you could put it on different color straps and it's just, I don't know. I, I, I,
0: I, I kind of huh. want one. So. <laughs> yeah, so we might see you. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I'm uh, a big fan. Episode of after I, after I love the ladies that watch. watch
1: every once in a while. <laughs>
0: nothing wrong with that man yeah it's awesome like scalloped lugs that's interesting it, well because you don't really see very many ladies chronos so i don't even know if you could really call that a ladies watch i mean i mean the paddock can call a watch whatever they want and, and you know the market will decide even the uh the the seventy two thirty four is i've i know of at least one uh, uh one male customer who wears that watch because it's more wearable than than the larger version um you know 37 and millimeters like it's That's just that's really a unisex watch, if nothing else. Um, Awesome. Well, listen, man. This is this has been great. We're we're running up against our time right now, so I think we could have probably definitely have another conversation on this topic or 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 some other topics. I know you're obviously a big Jorn advocate. Definitely. And well, you know what I'd like to talk to you about is is uh, vintage Roger Dubuis because I think you and I share an interest and a love. A vintage Roger Dubuis, you know, you've you own one. I know you see. I see you wearing it all the time. And I've, and I've waffled back and forth. And I probably should put the money into it, but um, you know, uh, I'd love to. T- I have a chat. For with sure. You about that. No, this was this was great. I'll definitely do an hour on that. So awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Um, guys, as always, you know, subscribe to our to our YouTube channel, where you're gonna find a lot of our content. Tim's reviews are on our WatchBox reviews. We have all of our our uh, collector content on WatchBox Studios. Uh, you can find this podcast on iTunes or really any other Spotify, all the all the uh, places where you can find um, podcasts and and we'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach out to both Brian and I. Yeah, I'm Instagram. at Brian Dockberg on Instagram. Um, you're gotcha, and I'm at Mr. Thanos, M-R-T-H-N-O-S on Instagram. Uh, and you'll catch us on the Watchbox Instagram as well. So let us know if there's any topics you think we've missed or if you if you disagree with our with our opinions or think that we made a major mistake in terms of the facts here, we're we're happy to, to listen to feedback. So, uh, reach out. And, uh, and if you want to, if you want to buy a watch too, both Brian and I are actively buying and selling watches so you can reach out to us either way. Uh, you know, not hard to find us. So check us out and Thanks. thanks for listening. Thanks Josh. All right. Absolutely. Talk to you later. Thanks Brian.